This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome in to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. Today, a conversation with Rhode Island Speaker of the House, Nick Mattiello. Speaker Mattiello making his B-Town debut here in the midst of a re-election campaign, trying to fend off a challenge from Republican Barbara Ann Fenton Fung, who was on B-Town Earlier this year, you can find that episode wherever you're listening right now. And as followers of Rhode Island politics know all too well, the Speaker has had some tight races out in House District 15 in Cranston. His home district, of course, in 2016, eking out a win by something like 85 votes over Steve Frias. That margin expanding a little bit in 2018. This year, obviously a different dynamic with COVID. We've seen some advancements of the progressive movement in the primaries, in the Democratic primaries, that is. And obviously, to at least some extent, the trial of Jeff Britt, the Speaker's former campaign consultant and how that may loom over this HD 15 race. So we get to quite a bit today in this episode. And by the way, yesterday, Governor Raimondo stepping out with her new COVID-19 restrictions here in Rhode Island. And I think a lot of us were expecting kind of a more dramatic presentation. I know some of you were concerned about being reduced to groups of five. Are we heading back into phase two? Pretty much the main takeaways are break rooms at places of employment are being shut down for 90 days and you got to wear a mask. You know, obviously this is a voluntary element, but you've got to wear a mask if you want to be a quote-unquote good citizen uh, when you're with anybody outside of your household and some specifics around trick-or-treating and things like that. You can watch uh, the video that I put up right after the press conference yesterday at btown.stream or inside the Bartholomew Town Podcast Facebook group. By the way, if you want to support the independent journalism, opinion, analysis, and entertainment that B-Town has become known for here in the Ocean State, a great way to do so is to become a B-Town insider. Simply head over to patreon.com slash Town, where for as little as $3 per month, you can help to sustain this program. All right, let's get right to it. Speaker Nick Mattiello on B-Town. Right now, you're in the midst of, I guess, really, it's already begun with early voting underway. Um, District 15 race against Barbara Ann Fenton Fung. Uh, Ms. Fenton Fung has, has been releasing a series of ads that have attempted to portray you as part of some sort of corrupt operation. What's your response, I guess, right out of the gate to the ad campaign that has come out of that camp? Well, I, I don't like to speak negatively of my opponent, so I'm going to limit my comments. It's just a false negative campaign. Um, my campaign has been based on positive achievements, where I want to go, where I want to move the state, what I want to do for District 15. And my opponent's campaign is more about negativity and not really indicating what she wants to get done or how she plans on doing it. So uh, I think it's been rejected by most of the district's voters based on what I'm hearing from people. Uh, I think people like a positive message. People like to know what we're going to do to increase their quality of life. And that's what I've been focused on. Do you get the sense that the message that you've put forth of, look, Western Cranston has the, the literally has the speaker of the house in in their corner the value of that do you feel like that is what is driving the momentum of your campaign is it the the legislative grants that you've been able to send to that district your district what do you think is the key element right now that's that you're you're getting feedback on it's it's really everything um it's 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 a 14 year history in the general assembly where i've produced one way or another whether it's 
with legislative grants, whether it's legislation that assists the quality of life, whether it's balanced budgets, whether it's protecting Cranston's interest uh, from the speakership and not allowing certain cuts to negatively impact up, uh, pilot funding um, th that, that impacts Cranston, making sure that our schools are, are properly funded or funded much better than they were 14 years ago. Um, I brought in a, an, an additional $130 million. I think most people recognize that that has helped keep their taxes stabilized. Uh, so all of those things together, a very, very positive record. Also a positive record on the economy statewide. You know, I've got every major group out there, uh, trade groups, um, the uh, Association of CPAs, the manufacturers, the liquor industry just about uh, hospitality industry, uh, every, just about all of the industries out there um, are supporting my candidacy because we've reduced taxes. We protect our economic climate so that we, it's more productive to job creation, more conducive to job creation. So all of those things together, I have a statewide audience uh, and, and uh, constituency that really wants to see me get reelected. And I have a, a strong constituency within District 15 in the city of Cranston. And it's everything coming together. It's actually getting out there, listening to people and making sure we make their quality of life better, whatever the issue might be. So I think when you put it all together, I have a strong record and people are responding very favorably to that. We saw in the, uh, the recent Democratic primary really some significant gains by the progressive faction, whether you want to classify it as the Rhode Island political co-op or however you want to evaluate it. Folks who have progressive ideologies were able to make some inroads with really one exception being Moira Walsh losing her seat. Otherwise, some significant gains in the General Assembly writ large. Do you feel that that is going to move the needle? Let's say, assuming you're reelected, you retain the speakership. Do you feel that policy-wise, that is going to change your approach at all? You've been often called the firewall in some cases. Do you feel like there's a give and take and that you'll be able to be more receptive to progressive ideas? Or do you feel like you'll have to double down on that firewall concept? What's, what's your message there? Well, I, I think it's both. Uh, what I've always said is I'm a firewall against bad ideas. We pass a lot of progressive ideas, you know, if they make sense, if they're good, um, if they help people without hurting anybody, then we, we, we look at those things favorably. I, I like to say I'm analytical somewhere in the middle, and I, I judge both sides of the equation as fairly as I can. Um, I think we picked up maybe three additional progressive candidates. Uh, at the end of the day, that's not going to move the needle at all. But what we will do is we will assess every single issue as fairly as we can to every constituency. We listen to all constituencies. And I, I think that's the strength of my leadership. And that's why I am viewed as a firewall. But it's a firewall against bad ideas, wherever, wherever they emanate from. And and not letting things through that will adversely impact businesses and people's jobs and people's lives. But that's not anti-progressive or forward-moving. That's, that's just analytical and smart. And that's the kind of leadership that people are looking forward to from me. And that's what we plan on continuing. But that means you listen to everybody in, 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 in the process. More conservative people, more liberal-minded people. 
listen, sometimes the conservative-minded viewpoint wins, sometimes the more liberal-minded viewpoint wins. If you listen to everybody and you make decisions fairly and based on an analytical process and not simply a pure ideological process, you're going to do a decent job. And that's what I try to do. Turning to COVID, it's been, obviously, it's been a challenge for everybody. There's no doubt about that. And for sure, the state budget is going to be in, look, it's going to be upside down one way or another, whether or not Governor Raimondo uses the, uh, or is able to use the, the CARES Act money to patch a bit of that or not. I guess what we're hearing from with frequency is the Republican caucus calling for the General Assembly to reconvene. That's been something that you have been comfortable, at least in terms of the budget, holding off until after the election. Why is that? And do you believe that you'll be able to return in November or whenever it may be and get the state fiscally sound or at least reasonably sound heading into 2021? Yes, COVID-19 has created havoc across the country. Rhode Island is no exception, and all of New England is, is no exception. So I, I look around at our neighboring states, and they're all, I believe, doing something similar to what Rhode Island is doing. You know, some people are rooting for us to succeed, and some people probably are rooting for us not to succeed for political advantage. What I can assure of all of our constituents is that we have plans in place. By waiting, we're $100 million better off. We've we've gained some flexibility already. We can now use some of that CARES money for corrections, and we can go back to last year, which means we're about $100 better off than we otherwise would have been. So waiting was very wise already. There are still discussions going on in Washington. We'll see where that takes us. So when we have the full picture, Um, and we could do the best job for our citizens, we will, in fact, reconvene and do the best job we can for our citizens. We're not going to rush. We're not going to be impetuous. We're not going to be political. We're going to be smart. We're going to be thoughtful. And we're going to do the best job we can for everybody. And we're doing exactly what all of the other New England states are. I believe most of them are, are, are doing because it's the right, smart thing to do. This is not a time for politics. Everybody claims that COVID, you know, they're they're sensitive to COVID, but the impact of COVID is somebody else's fault. No, the impact of COVID is the fault of COVID-19 and the elected leaders that have the responsibility of working with it are doing the best we we can do with it. I'm thankful for the leadership of our governor, Gina Raimondo. She's done a really good job. I thank the Senate president, Dominic Ruggiero. They've been very collaborative. We've worked very closely together and collaboratively and working together, we will lead uh, Rhode Island through the COVID-19 crisis. Discover over 200 episodes of Rhode Island's podcast of record, the Bartholomew Town Podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your pods or head over to our website, ripodcast.com. What about on an oversight perspective? I hear from representatives, usually on the Republican side, but, you know, the occasionally on the, on the Democratic side. And certainly there are folks, you know, just got to listen to talk radio for a few minutes or check Twitter. There's folks who are concerned that oversight of Governor Raimondo's executive actions are isn't in place and that that is creating a dynamic that from a small business perspective or just a general operational perspective, 
a, a missing branch, if you will, of government at this point in time. What do you say to those folks? I, I would say that, the, the, you know, we're concentrating on leading the state and not being political. Once again, that, that is political. You don't do oversight during an emergency or a crisis. I strongly believe that. I strongly believe um, that the state is entitled to have one voice, and that's that of the chief executive, the governor. It's fair to our citizens not to have conflicting messages. That's why the governor, myself, and the Senate president collaborate behind closed doors, and the governor is the voice of the government. The citizens, I believe, are more comfortable with that. We're not going to do oversight during the crisis. There'll be plenty of time for oversight and plenty of time for some of the politicians to get their their faces on TV. But right now is not the time for that. Right now is the time for the governor to lead in collaboration with the House and the Senate, um, which is going on, and um, making sure that the interests of our citizens are protected. I would suggest that calls for oversight right now are much more political than in the best interest of our citizens. And there's a lot of oversight going on because our our fiscal staffs in the House and the Senate work with the governor's staff each and every day. So there's a lot of oversight going on in addition to the collaboration between the governor and myself and the uh, the Senate president. And that those are the professional folks. So when I get information back, it's good information. It's, it's professional. It's done by the best fiscal staff in, in the state of Rhode Island. Have you had any conversations with the governor about the new round of restrictions that are, that are being put forth as we see the spike essentially here in, in Rhode Island? It's maybe the second wave. I have not as of yet. I plan on talking to the governor very shortly uh, when I heard about the spike in the number of cases and so forth. Uh, you know, I, I, I run a pretty busy law practice and we're in the middle of a campaign. So at this time, this time of year, time is a little short, but I plan on um, meeting up with the governor very shortly. Shifting back to the campaign, the, the District 15 has been... Um, you had, a, I guess, a tight race in 2016, the margins wider in 2018. Do you feel like you represent the pulse of that district? I believe so. I mean, my district, it's, it's a split district. We have a, a lot of Democrats, a lot of Republicans, and I ultimately they vote for the individual that, um, that they, uh, they believe will do the best job for them, irrespective of party sometimes. And you know, 2016, that was an anti-tolls um, year. It was uh, an anti-establishment year. Donald Trump was, was uh, peaking very, very solidly. A lot of, a lot of Republicans, that ne- well, a lot of people that never voted in any race came out and voted for him, and I would imagine just voted re- a Republican. 2018 was a much more comfortable win, and it would have been it would have been and should have been a little bigger than that, except for some stuff that happened at the very end of the campaign, um, which I thought was inappropriate. Um, this year, you're going to see us getting back to normal numbers, I believe. I think this year, we're probably going to go back to numbers uh, pre-2016. That That's my guess. I, you know, my opponent will say otherwise. I'll I'll say that, and and I respect that. So I try not to talk to too much about where the district is, and I leave it for the voters to speak. 
on behalf of where they are, but uh, speaking to my neighbors, speaking to friends, speaking to business centers in the community, I'm getting a very, very solid and clear message that we're in very solid shape this uh, this election cycle. Last couple of minutes here. Are you concerned about the impact that the Jeff Britt, Jeff Britt trial is going to have on this race? Do you feel like it casts a shadow? Do you feel like that that was a, a, a fair situation by and large? I mean, your testimony in that and how it was portrayed, do you feel like by and large that is um, something that is going to come up in the in voters' minds as they head to the polls or they're sending their mail ballot in or whatever it may be uh, in District 15? No, I- Thank you for the question. I'm sure that some people want that to be the case. Um, what I would say is I, I'm, I'm glad I got the chance to finally say something publicly in my testimony about it. If, if, uh, if you've noticed, my testimony was totally irrelevant to the matter before the court relative to Jeff Britt's actions. Uh, it was clear uh, for the third time uh, that I had absolutely nothing to do with, in fact, no knowledge of it. Uh, that, that it's the third time because we went through a board of elections process and attorney general's process. And now there was a full blown trial. I'm just glad it's, it's, first of all, it's four years old. Uh, a lot of things have happened since then. The car tax phase out was engineered and, and put through since then. A lot of policy initiatives happened since then. That was a campaign four years ago, but I'm glad that for the third time, the truth is out there and people know. So I am actually very glad that it's behind us and that there's no more insinuation that something blockbustering is going to come out of uh, that particular matter. And I got to tell you, when I go on doors and I was in, I, I hit a, a, a good neighborhood last night, um, knocked on a lot of doors. People were super supportive and that issue has never, ever come up. People have put that in their rearview mirror almost four years ago. It's, it's, not, it's not something people care about. People, because there's nothing there, people care about their quality of life, their kids' education, their jobs, the economy, um, what we're doing to improve schools, make schools safer. Um, and those are all things that I have thrived in that I have been very strong in and people know that. So people, people are going to support those that support their best interest, the car tax phase out. You know, I promised it four years ago. Most people thought I couldn't do it. We stopped. I stopped a state budget to make sure that that got done on behalf of the people. It's that important to people. It's that important that the government keep its word in my estimation we're going to get it done, and people know that, and people know that I'm the only one that will get that done on their behalf and that they need me there to finish that off. So people are very supportive. That's what they're concentrating on. The rest of the stuff is noise, and from what I'm hearing from my district, people are sick of the negativity. I'm, I'm hearing that loud and clear, and I think you're going to see a backlash against the negativity. We're running a positive campaign. I'm, I'm talking about what I see and envision on their behalf, what I can do for them, realistically do for them from the power of the speakership. And they're responding super well and uh, makes me feel good. And it energizes me to continue to go out there and work on their behalf. You feel like the car tax phase out is still a reasonable uh, campaign promise given uh, COVID-19 and the budget uncertainties. Do you feel like that's something that can be obtained attained in a reasonable amount of time? We're going to stick on the original schedule. It, we're in the fourth year of the phase out. 
people can rest assured that they will get the fourth year of the phase out and they can rest assured that in the two next budgets, we're going to stay on schedule. Two years from now, people will not get a car tax bill. You can bet on it. People can rest assured of that. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Be a part of the conversation this election season by joining me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Bill Bartholomew, and join the Bartholomew Town Podcast Facebook group by simply heading to btown.stream.